0: Just a little bit of background to the Bible, you probably know this, but the, the word Bible takes its name from the Latin word biblia, which means book or books, and, uh, and that itself comes from the Greek word tabiblia, which again means books. What we've done is that we've then put the word holy in front of biblia or Bible, and so basically what we have is a collection of sacred books, 66 in total. Um, someone was asking me a bit earlier about the Apocrypha. Go and read up on Wikipedia about that if you'd like to. Bell and the Dragon is always a good read. Uh, but <clears throat> that's in another Bible. But um, you're probably thinking, what am I talking about? I've lost my voice now. Okay, so, um, so basically the Bible is, seen, is written by 40 different authors. And again, we, we also use a word about the Bible. Uh, it refers to itself time and time again as the Scriptures Uh, Again, from a Latin word, which means writing. So we put holy in front of scriptures and we get the sacred writings. And the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures, according to the Guinness Book of Records, is the best-selling book of all time. Anyone hazard a guess at how many Bibles have been sold? No one? 158 million. Okay, I'll take... More on that. Gordon, what do you reckon? Two billion? Ten billion. Okay, let's halve that. Uh, five billion. So, you're, yeah, I mean, you were close. Um, <clears throat> so, five billion uh, copies have been sold. Anna might tell you that a lot of those copies are in my office upstairs because, <clears throat> like any good vicar, I kind of collect Bibles. Anyone tell me what the next best-selling book is uh, in the world? The Quran. The Koran, no. The Little Red Book, yeah, by Chairman Mao, sold over a billion copies. Go a bit further down the list, and you've got all of the Harry Potter books. Um, can anyone tell me how many Harry Potter books have been sold? How many? No, half a billion. She's doing right for herself, isn't she, J.K. Rowling? Goodness. <laughs> but but if you if you go to any book list, the Bible is regularly at the top of any top 10 books list across the world. And at the late Queen, as I've said before, is a patron of the Bible Society who put together this Bible series. And she herself was hugely influenced by the Bible. I was reading an article just this past week called The Queen and the Bible. And it said this, Queen Elizabeth had a deep knowledge of the Bible from reading it regularly, her preferred uh, version was the AV, the authorised version, and hearing countless sermons based on it. I was thinking about, she must have been to a lot of church services, mustn't she, and heard a lot of sermons, and I bet not all of them were good. Uh, but she said, the Bi- uh, for her, as for all Christians, the Bible is a key source, not only of doctrine, but of comfort, hope, and inspiration. It's also been woven into the fabric of her reign from the very beginning. Apart from her personal attachment to the Bible, the Bible was at the heart of her coronation service, which which she always regarded as a sacred moment when she was set aside for the service of her country. I don't know if you've been watching any of the stuff about the Queen. Uh, It's hard. It's hard not to, really, isn't it? There's a lot of it around. I'm I'm convinced that my mum and dad have just been sat in front of the telly watching that live stream from Westminster Hall for the last three days and have have just not got up. And... um, uh, but I was watching that service the other day that came from Westminster Hall when the Queen began to lie in state. It was 15 minutes long, but just within that short amount of time, we were treated to almost a feast from the Bible. As she came in, they sang one uh, Psalm 139. They spoke about John 14 about the hope of life after death, and finished with a blessing from Numbers. The Bible, uh, in that short time, was kind of front and center of that service. Gregory um, the Great, who he sounds like he should be a wrestler doesn't he? Gregory the Great. He was in fact the Bishop of Rome in the sixth century, but he said that scripture is like a river, broad and deep, swallow enough, uh, shallow enough for the lamb to go wading, but deep enough for the elephant to swim. In other words, there's something in the Bible for everyone. Modern day intrepid explorer, Bear Grylls, anyone heard of him? he's doing all right for himself as well. Um, He said this, don't underestimate the power of the words of the Bible. So often they have been uh, light to a dark path for me and strength to a failing body. And so as you think about the Bible, it's fairly clear that it's pretty popular across the world and down the ages. And and that within the Bible, there are words and phrases that have inspired and encouraged both young and and old alike. Very popular, full of words and phrases that inspire people. But some people might observe, well, that's quite similar um, to Facebook. (coughs) Facebook has nearly 3 billion users. Uh, It's been going for about 20 years, which is a long time in the tech world. And Facebook, too, is full of encouraging words and phrases that inspire people. Anyone kind of recognize that if you are a user of Facebook? Yeah, you see, some of you are inspired by Facebook more than the Bible. So, um, if we look at Facebook, I I looked the other day, and I I looked at this thing. The top three inspirational quotes from Facebook. Here they are. Keep your face always towards the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. Accept who you are. Unless, of course, you're a serial killer. (coughs) Um, And then number three was when life gives you lemons, squirt someone in the eye. <clears throat> um, Facebook, like the Bible, is incredibly popular across the world. And like the Bible, it can inspire people with phrases and stories. May, or maybe not, I don't know. Who's been inspired by a phrase or something from Facebook. Yeah, you see, some of you have been. There you go. Anna Williams, why aren't you holding your hand up? I'm sure you would be. Not at all. I'm always inspired by your posts, though, Anna. Like the vicar was boring this morning. Thank you. (laughs) Now, Now, some of you might be concerned that I'm kind of placing Facebook in the same category as the Bible. Don't worry, I'm not. I'm just saying that because just because the Bible has sold over five billion copies and is full of wise phrases and stories, it's not that in itself that makes it unique and authoritative. It's not that in itself that places it above over over and above any other writings. You know, it's not the popularity of the Bible that has led the dear old Church of England to conclude that scripture contains all things necessary to salvation, and that any doctrine of the Church of England is grounded in the Holy Scriptures. It's not the popularity of the Bible that has led the Church of England to affirm the supreme and unshaken authority of the Holy Scriptures as presenting the truth concerning God and the spiritual life. Popularity and wise sayings are not the reason why the Bible is unique and has supreme authority in the life of the church but I'd argue that the key reason why the bible is unique and has supreme authority in the church and also I would say within the world is because the bible is the very breath or word of God the one who is the author the creator and sustainer of our world and our universe whilst Facebook could be seen as a bit like the breath of Mark Zuckerberg and his cronies the Bible is the very breath and word of one with whom in life the buck stops which is why some people might say we should spend less time on Facebook and more time in the Bible in that uh, text from 2 Timothy chapter 3 which I said is on the back of your notice sheet Um, The Bible testifies about itself as being the very breath of God. And I, I think there's lots of external categories that we place on the Bible. But I think it's good to start with what the Bible says about itself. In verse 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young apprentice, Timothy. And he says this, All Scripture... And and by that, I think we take that to mean the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, but also um, the New Testament as well, which was finalized some time after uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, finalized in 397 at the Council of Carthage, but holds together 27 books that make up the New Testament. And I think we bring those together, the old and the new, and I think that what Paul is saying, that all scripture is God-breathed. In some Bible translations, it says that the Bible or scripture is inspired it's inspired now that's not to say that the focus of the Bible is to inspire us like an amazing piece of music or an incredible football match or a life well lived the Bible may well inspire us but for Paul to say that the Bible is inspired means to say that the collection of 66 books have their ultimate source in God. The Bible is the very breath of God. It is the word of God. The theologian Tom Wright in a commentary on 2 Timothy writes this, the reason the scriptures were alive was because God had breathed them in the first place and the warmth and life of that creative breath is still present and powerful. You know, the Bible is not a dusty old book of a bygone era, but it is the very breath of God to us in the here and now. It reveals to us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible reveals to us all things necessary for life, love, and salvation. You know, as you look at it, it is in fact a unified story that leads us to Jesus and reveals wisdom to the whole world. You know, the the Apostle Paul looks beyond the human authorship and like I said there are 40 people involved in these sacred writings and he identifies their ultimate source they come from God and that's why the Bible has supreme authority that's why the Bible continues to change lives and communities and dare I say even countries because these words that make up the holy scriptures carry the breath and life of God and we ignore the bible at our peril in that text from 2 Timothy 3 the context is that Paul is yet again in prison writing from a prison cell to Timothy who's part of this church this new church in Ephesus And within that new church that Timothy is a part of, there are teachers, uh, false teachers. and, And the Apostle Paul challenges Timothy to deal with these false teachers who are teaching those in the church and teaching them to go away from what Paul has given to them in the gospel. You know, they've encouraged people to abandon the hope of resurrection. They've encouraged people to abandon that hope of a new heaven And a new earth and basically what they're telling people to do is to embrace a private hyper spirituality that is disconnected from everyday life you know what they were teaching was very over the top and wacky in comparison to the good news the gospel that the apostle paul had taught that church and you know and whilst it might not be so obvious now i do think that within the church like timothy did Back then, we also encounter false teachers who will pull us away from the truth of the scriptures. Um, I had dealings recently with someone here who I would consider to be a false teacher. Don't don't worry, I have had a conversation with you, so if you're thinking, oh, that's me, uh, I already know who it is. Uh, And I challenged them very gently, of course, on where they were coming from, and we had a bit of an email exchange, and they wrote this to me. They said, John, I truly believe there are forces at work above you and me offering guidance for those able to bring about the most good in the world. So far, so good. On that basis, I feel a joining of minds here has the potential to aid the enlightenment of thousands of souls. In other words, my mind and his mind were going to come together to aid the enlightenment of thousands of souls. Starting to get a bit worried. When I first started to come to Trinity, I had this powerful vision of this enlightenment taking place, starting at Trinity before spreading out way beyond Guernsey. I thought, that'd be nice to be a part of that, wouldn't it? Uh, What I sense, he said, is that this requires your, mind enlightenment, something I feel guided to assist you with, should you want to go that route. You may, of course, he said, already be enlightened, but the last time we spoke, you claim not to be. (coughs) This is the best bit. Given that you still enjoy films and TV programs, then I would guess that you're probably still not enlightened. Um, Those enlightened generally wish not to risk contaminating their mind with such things, and so simply lose the desire to indulge in them. I do not claim to be enlightened, although I feel I'm on the path and am blessed to experience light during my quiet times. I would love for others to have this experience, at which point, and this is when all the alarm bells start ringing. God is not so much a belief, but an experience of light and love, belief being no longer needed. And actually, as you begin to unpick it, what he was inviting me to, uh, if our minds could come together, was kind of a private spirituality that is disconnected from everyday life. Anyway, I gently encouraged them not to promote their stuff here, and I haven't seen them since some false teachers are obvious and others less so and I would say with the advent of the good old interweb that false teaching within and beyond the church has multiplied exponentially and maybe Paul was kind of anticipating this. Maybe this is a prophetic word about the internet that you find in 2 Timothy 4. He says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's a bit like a Twitter, Twitter echo chamber. They will turn their ears away from the, t- the truth and turn aside to all kinds of myths. And, and if I'm honest, as I think about the church, I do think, That at times that the church has been infiltrated by all kinds of false teaching. For me, and one that I got sucked into many years ago, was the prosperity gospel. God wants you rich. Nice idea, but I don't think it's gospel ministry. You know, I think it's a prime example of false teaching within the life of the church. And so the Apostle Paul, against this backdrop of false teachers in Ephesus, draws Timothy to the Holy Scriptures. And it's clear, actually, that Timothy was immersed in the Holy Scriptures by his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, from a very early age. In verse 15, it says, From infancy, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And when you read that and you get the context, that in itself, I think, seems to put the main responsibility of teaching the Bible to children upon parents and grandparents. I'd love to tell you that Anna and I have got all of this right with our own three boys. Because I have to admit, it's been a challenge. I was reminded though, when Sam, he's now 30, but when he was younger, I used to read him two stories and a Bible story every night. And if he'd been naughty or been messing around, then what I, I, I wouldn't read him the Bible story because that was the one that he loved the most. And he cried if I took it away. Um, I'm not quite sure that I was very good parenting to be honest with you um, but the irony about that is that whilst we, we, we tried really hard with Sam and then Tom, uh, when it came to Ben our youngest, I think we got a bit lapsed because when he was about 10, it came to Good Friday and we were sat around uh, having breakfast, eating hot cross buns and he goes so what's all this Good Friday stuff about then? <clears throat> and we suddenly <laughs> we suddenly realised that, um, that we weren't very good Parents, in that sense, yeah, you know, I think Good Friday had always been solemn services, and the thought of our three boys going to solemn services just doesn't go together. Um, but I think we took things for granted. But I think, as parents and grandparents, then I, I don't want to put guilt on people, but equally, I do think we need to find ways in which we can share the Holy Scriptures with our family. Easier said than done, and I think we need as much help as we can get. Anyway, Paul then goes on in verse 16, and this is the key verse. He says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And those four words, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, kind of sum up the function of the Bible or the word of God for the follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, The Bible is our teacher. Now, when I was at school, I had good teachers and bad teachers. I'm sure that's not the case now. Is it? Karen, what do you think? Yeah, it looks like it could be. Um, uh, um, one, of my, uh, one of my bad teachers was my English teacher, Mr. Moore, known as Paddy Moore. He was mad as a box of frogs. And, and our main aim in his lesson was not to learn anything about English, but actually, unbeknown to him, was to see who could get slippered the most with a um, a Dunlop Green Flash trainer. This was back in the days of corporal punishment. And basically um, Paddy Moore used to like his trainer to hit boys, and so whoever got the most in that lesson was the winner. (coughs) Paddy Moore was not a good teacher. Unless, of course, I don't know, He he may well be, but it wasn't for me. A good teacher for me, though, was Mr. Humphreys. And actually, his his real name, he was called Barry Humphreys. (laughs) So he's not the Barry Humphreys who plays Dame Edna Everidge. Um, But he taught me maths, and he was my form tutor for many years. And as a teacher, he was kind, but firm. He was patient and encouraging. He spoke words of wisdom and truth to me. He didn't just teach me maths, but he helped me as a rather rebellious boy in the top set to calm down and to work better. Mr. Humphreys was a good teacher. And and I want to say the Bible is a good teacher. More Humphreys than more. It tells us the truth about God, about ourselves, and about how we can live better as God's people. The Bible, Paul says, rebukes. And to rebuke is actually to criticise someone because you disapprove of what that person has said or done. And I think Paul wrote this because he wanted Timothy to rebuke or criticize those false teachers. But equally, I think the Bible, if we read it, it will in turn read us. If we read the Bible, it will in turn read us. And at times, from my experience, it offers a rebuke when what we are doing is out of line with God's will. And maybe within that rebuke, we hear the voice of God. Maybe The fact that the Bible rebukes is one reason why we don't read it. I've sensed a rebuke of scripture recently when I've been reading those words about agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says this, that love keeps no record of wrongs. Based on the state of my heart towards another person, that was a rebuke. The Bible corrects as we read the Bible, so it guides us onto the right paths of behavior and thinking. And when I think about the Bible correcting, I'm reminded of a sat nav, that when you take a wrong turn, you then just get this incessant voice that says, turn around when possible, turn around when possible, and you just switch it off. But the Bible can be a bit like that uh, and corrects us when we take a wrong turn. The other day, I was thinking about my retirement, which is what you do when you're in your middle age, and I was working out, I've got another 14 years to go. Just to say, Anna said, said just reassure them that it's not another 14 years here. Um, so there you go. Um, and, uh, and whilst I was thinking about my retirement, I kind of go down this rabbit hole, thinking, what's my pension going to be like? Will I be able to keep Anna in the style of life that she has become accustomed to. (laughs) Will we have enough money? Where are we going to live? And then I start getting anxious and regretting choices that I've made. But that same day, I was reading the text from 1 Timothy 6, and it says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We will be, Anna, content with that. (coughs) Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And and that was like the Bible saying to my mind, turn around where possible. The Bible corrects us. And the Bible is a trainer. It trains us in righteousness, how we might live right under God in this world. You know, as a church, we spent two months looking at one or two verses from Exodus 34 where God reveals his character. And it says that his name is Yahweh, and his name means that he's compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, merciful, faithful and forgiving all the time and this is what we are to become if we are to be trained in righteousness by the Bible. I don't know about you but looking at the character of God I know that I need to train a bit more. So the uh, Bible Paul tells us teaches, corrects, rebukes and trains so that we might become the people God has called us to be and do the things that God has called us to do. Just to finish, the question that the Bible series course asks is can the Bible provide ancient wisdom that helps us flourish today? Well, I think the answer to that is yes. But don't just take my word for it, read it for yourself. We're just gonna finish with a short video of a few people who think that the Bible provides ancient wisdom that helps us flourish today.